Hello and welcome to the first edition of Deutsche Bank's ESG and Finance podcast series, brought to you by our investment bank. My name is Charlie Olivier, and I'm head of communications for Deutsche Bank in the UK and for its fixed income business globally. The big ESG topic this month is, of course, COP. And to discuss developments in Glasgow, I'm very pleased to welcome Henrik Johnson, co-head of investment banking in EMEA, Claire Kustar, global head of ESG for our fixed income business, and Tricia Teneja, head of ESG advisory for our origination and advisory business, all of whom are up in Scotland with our CEO, Christian Saving and others. Tricia, Claire, Henrik, thank you very much for joining. So let's start with you, Henrik. What did you make of it? You know, what were the key developments for financial market participants? Well, uh, first of all, um, I, I think I was very uh, pleasantly surprised uh, by just the sheer level of enthusiasm of all the people that I, I met and interacted with, you know, both the clients that we had on our panel and, and just general sort of passersby and, and uh, participants in the COP. I think what it shows is that you know, there's a broad-based um, you know, enthusiasm from NGOs, from activists, from corporates, and, and from banks that climate change is um, you know, a very serious concern and one that we all have to address. And that you know, all of us in, in one way or the other are going to have to you know, do something to, um, uh, to you know, move the world you know, towards uh, compliance with, with the Paris Climate Accords. If you think about the role of banks here, what, what was your impression about what role banks can play when you think about the discussions that you had at COP and, and what was said? I think that was actually my most important takeaway, um, and that is that uh, just like uh, you know, many other activities, banks are probably going to play you know, the most important role. And you know, the reason why I say that is that um, I think banks are going to uh, need to start disclosing the carbon footprint uh, of their activity um, you know, and, and their lending book you know, as regards to, to their clients. And you know, by um, by sort of disclosing that and setting targets in the future, um, you know, helping to encourage our clients to to go down the climate pathways that are specific to their industries, and I think that's something that actually our clients you know know and, and appreciate, and that's why it's going to be a very collaborative effort between banks and our clients um, to help transform you know their their business models with with financing and. And perhaps uh, you know, M and A to make sure that they um, they're in compliance with you know, their sector specific pathways. Moving across to Tricia, we saw a lot of initiatives announced at COP. What did you make of it? What were the key developments that are going to impact the companies that you advise? I, I point to perhaps three key developments. Uh, the first being uh, the UK announced its desire to be sort of the green finance capital. And as a part of that, uh, announced a plan to make it mandatory for companies not only to disclose climate risk, uh, but also the transition plans for achieving net zero. So back to Henrik's point on sector-specific pathways. Um, next, there's, you know, a, there was a carbon market deal signed at COP26, uh, which made it uh, sort of legitimizes carbon offsets and also makes it easier for uh, both companies and countries to trade emissions and emission reductions. Uh, and obviously there's a lot of challenges around making sure that stays credible. Uh, but I think both of these two initiatives are really important for ensuring that ESG risk, particularly climate risk, is priced into investment decision-making. 
Um, the third big, uh, big takeaway that I'd point to is the EU and China's common ground green taxonomy, uh, really to facilitate and mobilize cross-border climate financing and reduce border transaction costs. So as you say, we saw the UK introduce mandatory disclosure for companies. How significant is this, do you think? I think really, as I said, that it's a really important development um, for companies to be able to disclose uh, not just their net zero climate target, but how they will decarbonize um, and, you know, being able to align with uh, sector specific, I guess, decarbonization pathways. So again, uh, more detail to allow investors to price in climate risk into investment decision. And Charlie, that, that's something that I wholeheartedly agree with, because I think that that sort of acceptance that climate risk is an investment risk and you know that's been um that, that's been a factor in esg investing for for many years but i think it, it's uh, achieved a much broader um uh, buy-in from from you know investors and, and companies at large which is that you know unless you're taking climate change seriously and adapting your um, your business model to to the new regulations that that, that are going to be happening, um, you know, frankly, it's going to be difficult for investors um, uh, to invest in you and for banks to allocate you capital. So I, I think that's uh, also something which which is probably going to affect the world in in years to come. Just that that broader realization that climate risk is uh, a, a very significant investment risk, just like credit risk would be. So turning to you, Claire, uh, we saw a lot of announcements from institutional investors as well as development banks. What was your take on those? Yeah, Charlie, thank you. You know, I was very encouraged uh, by the various announcements that we heard at COP. Um, they were, you know, numerous, but maybe just to highlight uh, probably a couple of the announcements and, and a couple of the themes that come out of those announcements. Um, so. I think one, one of the big ones that came out was the announcement of um, uh, a Breakthrough Energy, which is uh, the Bill Gates Initiative and Fund, uh, announcing a partnership with the EU, which is focused on uh, catalyzing and mobilizing capital to uh, what I generally call climate 2.0 infrastructure. So focusing on, on things like carbon capture, long-term battery storage, uh, green uh, hydrogen, um, that was a very encouraging sign to see a, a private initiative aligned with a with a, a sovereign quasi sovereign initiative to mobilize capital in that space. Uh, we also saw um, announcements around clean tech uh, and innovation. Uh, you know, again, one of them from from Breakthrough Energy in, in the form of a catalytic fund. Uh, but that was a, a key theme um, at the COP. And if we looked at uh, the various pavilions, including the Innovation Hub, really focusing on how to mobilize capital to help those, those clean tech uh, um, uh, startup and, and incubators really mobilize more quickly to address some of the technology gaps that we, we see um, in the in the climate uh, infrastructure space, and then lastly, um, there was a lot of focus on uh, you know as you mentioned the MDBs uh, finally uh, aligning uh, more uh, increasingly, I should say, with the private sectors. So we saw an announcement with the Alliance and IFC around a three billion uh, fund to channel uh, monies towards the emerging markets, specifically in the area of climate needs. Um, and this is, again, was a key theme and a, and a key theme as well from our work on the Net Zero Banking Alliance, 
uh, with the publications that we made about how do we scale up and mobilize capital to emerging markets, which are one of the, the key um, geographical areas that need uh, money to transition out of high carbon uh, emitting sectors like coal into, into more renewable sectors. Thank you, Claire. Uh, obviously, a big driver at COP was GFANS, with a lot of new firms joining up. Uh, 130 trillion, big number. You're a key DB representative on the Net Zero Banking Alliance, which is part of GFANS. What, what did you make of, uh, of what Carney said and, and what came out of GFANS? Look, I think it's really exciting to see where the GFANS Alliance uh, has come in, you know, relatively short uh, period of time, as, as you say, the quantum, but also the um, number of firms, 450 firms now across 45 countries, really um, is quite impressive. And it's more impressive um, given that it, it is an alliance of the financial sector and you know everyone is aligned in moving together towards um, the goal of net zero and making commitments to that effect. Um, uh, which really gives the, the message um, to the private corporate sector and to governments that the money is there, um, it's ready to be deployed. Uh, what we need now is really uh, bankable um, and ideally scalable projects um, in climate infrastructure and, and related uh, climate needs um, to, to be able to, um, to affect that, that change. And um, the second aspect of that obviously is, the, you know, on the ESG data front is, um, and I think this came across uh, quite clearly in uh, the progress report that was published by the Asset Owners Alliance just before COP um, around the need for data to be able to more clearly map out where their portfolios are. Are they in line with Paris Club? Are they moving towards um, the net zero commitments but that they need to make? So, um, you know, key, key message there in terms of making sure the private sector, corporate sector really begins to, to focus on, on that delivery for the, the financial sector to be able to realize um, the commitments that they've made. Um, we, we also had a, a very uh, interesting uh, breakfast kickoff uh, at, the, at the COP uh, joined by uh, Bank of England representatives, and I think uh, there the topic was very much around um, the transition and making sure that we uh, have the ability to engage our clients um, in helping them finance their way to that transition and not having uh, being placed in a situation where we um, disengage with our clients that uh, most need our help right now. Um, so I think those were, for me, the key, key takeaways from the GFAN's announcements and the dialogue at COP. So looking forward, we have COP in Egypt next year. Between then and now, what are the key developments you're going to be looking for and what will you be focusing on? Uh, maybe maybe I can start. I think one of the key developments, the, the carbon uh, market deal that's been signed at COP26 is obviously has been really important. But one of the things that we see happening in regions that already have a carbon price, for example, Europe, um, is that, you know, a lot of this carbon pricing is not being integrated um, or being reflected on companies' uh, overall business value and share price. So I think one of the things that I'd like to see between this COP and the next, um, given the amount of focus that there was on, on finance as, a, as really a tool for decarbonization, um, is investors starting to integrate more carbon pricing into their investment decision-making and reflecting it in how they allocate capital to companies. Yeah, and, and Charlie, I think on my side, um, 
I, I definitely agree with Tricia, but I, I also think um, what, what I'd like to see in the next year is probably a, a higher focus on a, on a level playing field. Um, I mean, the en environmental uh, you know, tragedy of the commons is the original free rider example that, that people get taught in, um, in economics. And you know, speaking to our clients uh, across different industries, I think they, they're all on board you know, with, with making changes. Um, and pricing carbon correctly and, and so on, but they want there to be a level playing field across their industry. So you don't have actors that, whether they're just in, in private hands or uh, you know, located in regions which aren't taking this as seriously, uh, don't gain an advantage over them. And I think that's the best way to ensure compliance is for uh, you know, regulation to create a level playing field and um, and then let the people that are best at reducing carbon emissions, you know, succeed, and punishing the ones that, that are worse at it, and not letting anyone free ride. Over to you, Claire. Yeah. So clearly, um, you know, the the announcements at the end of COP around uh, resolution on Article Six was a you know big important step forward. Um, that is going to be a focus for us going into next year, um, looking at how we can support our clients to monetize the opportunity that will come on the back of implementation of Article 6 in terms of carbon credits and carbon offsets. Um, so that you know, effectively means uh, you know, largely looking at projects um, in emerging markets, whether they be carbon sinks or projects which are carbon avoidance, which allow for the creation of carbon credits, which can then be monetized um, and taken up by um, by the the more uh, developed market market companies, which are polluters or, or higher polluters, um, together with uh, you know any engagement we can have on the the sovereign side. Um, and that links into you know, what we're gonna be doing for the next year, which is really engaging more actively with our clients on the transition. Um, because if you look at the implications of article six and what it means for carbon pricing, it really goes to the heart of how you need to compete as a uh, exporter looking at um, you know, where you're exporting to and making sure that your supply chains uh, are becoming more green and not potentially negatively impacted by the uh, potential carbon price, whether that be in a, in a regulated or a voluntary um, carbon price market. So those, those are going to be the focus in addition to what I highlighted earlier. So um, you know, scaling up and focusing on uh, climate 2.0 infrastructure, carbon capture, battery storage, uh, EV, et cetera, climate innovation, so supporting clean tech, uh, and then finally um, scaling up deployment of capital to uh, our emerging market clients to help the, the transition. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure to speak to you all. Thank you for your time. Bye for now. ESG Insights has been produced by Deutsche Bank and is intended for general information purposes only. By accessing ESG Insights, you confirm that you are entitled to do so in accordance with your own regulatory requirements. Any opinions, estimates and projections discussed in this podcast constitute the current judgment of the speaker at the time of recording and do not represent a formal or official view of Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank does not make any representations or warranties in respect of the currency, accuracy or completeness of any information included in this podcast or the reasonableness of any opinions expressed. Information included may not be complete or up to date for your purposes and is subject to change.